May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And childhood memories are sort of funny things, at least mine are. I don't know, yours may not be this way, but when I set about to think about what happened when I was a kid, my memories sort of get jumbled up and together. One memory flows into another. Sometimes a particular memory might be associated with a grade I was in school, so I can kind of figure out how old I was. I'll remember a teacher or a, or a friend that I had in a particular grade. Or it might be kind of stuck to a particular location, which helps me fit it into sort of the chronology of my life. But often it's just sort of this moving collection of memories, one folding into another, a collection of feelings and words, memories of how things smelled or tasted. But I do have a very particular memory of my second grade Christmas pageant at my school. It was one of those cute little things where the kids get to dress up in bathrobes as shepherds and felt and cotton balls are put to good use to turn second graders into sheep and various livestock. Like all kid Christmas pageants, this one mixed together our gospel stories of the nativity from Luke and Matthew. If you're going to have a pageant for a bunch of fidgety kids, it's important that everybody has a part. And so one way to make sure that this happens is you take what Luke gives us and what Matthew gives us and put it together. So that usually means that the scene opens with Mary and Joseph knocking on doors, looking for a place to stay and ending up in a stable there's always a speaking part for the angel and room for backup angels to play the heavenly host that we hear from in Luke. Shepherds and various livestock give lots of roles for fidgety kids to be part of the action. And maybe to pad the runtime or add some speaking parts, they normally add in Matthew's version of things by adding in three kings or wise men or magi, whatever they might be called that particular time, to close out the action of the pageant. I remember this particular Christmas pageant that when it came time for assigning roles, everybody either wanted to be a sheep, shepherd, or angel. Those, for some reason, were the cool parts that year. Nobody really wanted to be Mary or Joseph because they were seemed to be a bit boring since they just got to knock on some doors and then stood around looking at a baby doll for the rest of the pageant. The wise men were really desired roles because it was a pretty big speaking part and you got to have the fanciest costume in the pageant, which even included little crowns to wear. I didn't get any of those roles in my second grade Christmas pageant. We must have had a particularly creative adult in charge because the role I was assigned was the Christmas star. That meant a literal, actual star, not just that I was the star of the play. I remember that I had to wear all black, so I had like a black sweatshirt and black sweatpants and. I don't think I had black tennis shoes, so I was just wearing black socks. And they had made this star, five-pointed star-shaped thing that had a cutout that I stuck my little face through. And in my memory, 
I recall this having sort of shiny tinsel garland around the edges complete with Christmas lights that had to have me close enough to a plug to where I could be plugged in, so I twinkled. And they plopped me up in the baptismal area. This was in a Baptist church, so it was one of those ones where they had the, the baptism pool in a little room above, so when they did baptisms, you could see everything. You couldn't get away with this now. But in the 1980s, you could plop a second grader up there in a baptismal font or pool area and plug them in. So there I sat, illuminated above it all. You might be thinking... We just heard the story of the Magi from Matthew's Gospel, and the star did not have a speaking part. But I had a speaking part in this 1980s production in Mobile, Alabama. And while I don't remember the exact line, in my mind it goes something like this. Hey, y'all, baby Jesus is over here. Every six years or so, January 6th, which is the fixed feast of the Epiphany, happens to fall on a Sunday. And when that does happen, it's a time where we suddenly kind of sort out that our usual idea of Jesus' birth in Nativity is really sort of a, a jumble of four different Gospels. And so when we as a church on Sunday morning are called to piece those, pick those pieces back out on the Epiphany, it's important that we remember that the Gospels are all giving us sort of different views of who Jesus is. It's important that the Magi don't show up in Luke's Gospel because that's not what Luke is telling us about Jesus. Luke is filled with angelic visits and miracles and angelic hosts and, of course, the shepherds. But Luke is there to tell us about a Jesus who is the fulfillment of the prophets and who is the best example and teacher of God's expectation for how we treat each other. The Magi or the wise men or the three kings, whatever you want to call it, is important that it shows up in the Gospel of Matthew because Matthew is teaching us about a Jesus who fulfills all the law and all the prophets, all of the Jewish writings and everything that the, pe the people of Israel had been hoping for. This is so important to Matthew that he actually begins his Gospel with a genealogy listing of begats who had who in Jesus' family tree, and then leads up to the visit of the angel to Joseph, and in one sentence Jesus is born, and then we fast forward to wise men from the east coming to Jerusalem. Nowhere in our reading does it say that there were three of them, the tradition of our church has assigned this number probably because it corresponds with the number of gifts that are in the gospel. Nowhere does it say that they are kings, but given our reading from Isaiah this morning, it would seem fitting that foreign kingly powers would come to worship and pay homage to the baby Jesus. Most likely, there was a whole bunch of them. Instead of that scene of a silhouette of three strange people on a camel going across the desert, we should perhaps envision a whole traveling caravan full of followers and servants and animals making their way from the east to Bethlehem. These men were probably Zoroastrian priests. They were not Jewish, and they were pretty strange Gentiles in the 
realm of Gentiles. They worshiped a strange God in the Far East, but they learned mathematics and studied the stars and how the heavens moved. So why is this curious reading from the Gospel of Matthew of foreign and strange visitors from the East that has found its way into all of our many Christmas pageants and throughout the church, why is this the reading that we get for the Feast of Epiphany? What are we supposed to learn about Jesus' birth from this scene? What is this business about Epiphany anyway? I will beg your indulgence for me to tell you another story from my rememberings of my childhood and sorting out sort of jumbled experiences. Perhaps sometime around the same age of when I was the Christmas star in that second grade pageant, I have a memory of having a conversation with my mother and asking her what the word epiphany meant. Pretty sure that I had heard the word at church, right? Because in the Episcopal church, when we enter the season of Epiphany, normally it's up on a songboard or something like that to tell you what season of it is. It is, and and my mother was a high school teacher, and so she tended to be who I went to to ask kind of curious questions about words I didn't know. And so I said, "Mom, what does it mean to be in Epiphany or to have an Epiphany?" And I remember her answer being something like, well, it's when you suddenly figure something out. Now, somehow in my little kid memories, this conversation of, with my mother about an epiphany being when you suddenly figure something out was linked to a memory of a cartoon character that I've long since lost which character it was, but a little story that the, the character is looking for something, and when they find it, they yell, Eureka, right? I found it. And so in my mind, the definition in the word epiphany is linked to the word Eureka. Now, it turns out my little brain was not so off-based. The exclamation Eureka comes from the Greek. It's not just a place in California. And it literally means, I found it, or I found. Tradition holds that a Greek mathematician, Archimedes, in the two, 200 years or so before Jesus was born, had been working for some time on a problem without any success. And then one day, as he was getting into the bathtub, he noticed sort of a simple occurrence that when he got into the bathtub, the level of the water rose. And that simple little fact was the key to him solving this mathematical problem that he had been working on for so long. And so he was so filled with joy and excited that he leapt out and out of the bathtub and yelled, Eureka, and then took off running without his clothes on through the streets of Syracuse in celebration. Archimedes had an epiphany. He had suddenly realized something and figured it out. And in response, he exclaimed, Eureka, I found it. Epiphany, the word, actually also comes to us from the Greek, and more formally it means reveal. But most folks talk about it as being a sudden realization. We normally talk about epiphanies happening in science 
religious epiphanies, which is what we celebrate today, but it can apply to any situation where you are suddenly enlightened and find a solution or think about a problem in a new and deeper way. Epiphanies usually follow a process of a lot of thought about the situation or the problem. They often come about because you notice some new or key piece of information, like the water in the bathtub rising when you get in. But it's really important that to have an epiphany, you have to have done a lot of thinking to be ready to recognize the new understanding that is about to happen. Epiphanies aren't walking down the road and you're suddenly struck with an idea. They require a lot of work on your part. Now, I can't say 100% because I wasn't there that the wise men, when they came upon baby Jesus, yelled Eureka. But it's not out of the realm of possibility, given they were from the east and they were mathematicians and probably would have known the story of Archimedes yelling Eureka and running around his neighborhood naked. But they certainly, upon finding the baby Jesus, had a sudden realization that everything they thought they knew or understood was now changed. That the star that they had been following all those many months did not lead them to a king of earthly power with soldiers and wealth, but instead led them to a baby in a manger, not a man on a throne. And that the world in that moment was changed. Matthew tells us, that when they find Jesus, they are filled with joy. And our version says, and they knelt and paid homage. But the word really does mean is that they knelt and worshipped the baby Jesus, recognizing in him the king that they had sought. And then they offer to him their gifts of wealth, of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. The epiphany, the feast of the epiphany, and the season of epiphany that we enter into invites us to consider how God is revealed in Jesus through the incarnation, through the miracles and wonders and signs that Jesus performed, through Jesus' teaching. It invites us to look around and be like the wise men, which means to put in the work that we need to see more clearly how God is revealed to us in the world around us, in the trees, in the air, in the stars above us. The season of Epiphany invites us to do the work, to study deeply our scripture, to examine our lives, and to bring our gifts to God's table and to offer them in worship to Jesus, our King. The Feast of Epiphany invites us to again experience the joy that those wise men felt of discovering God's work of grace and salvation that came in a surprising way of an infant baby in a manger. The season of Epiphany invites us to do the work of being surprised by Emmanuel, God with us, and that that God continues to break into our world. Epiphany invites us to say joyfully, Eureka, I've found him.
I invite you this epiphany at the beginning of this new year to experience the grace and love of God, to allow Jesus to be revealed in you through worship and scripture and bread and wine, to find again that the light of Christ truly has come into the world and that the darkness has already been defeated. But then here's the real challenge, is I want you to be like those wise men I especially want you to be like Archimedes, but I want you to keep your clothes on because I want you to allow yourself to be so filled with God's joy that you can't help but go out into the world, to your homes, to your work, to your schools, into the streets of this city, exclaiming, Eureka, I have found him. I have found the savior of the world that is Jesus Christ. And then I want you to tell everybody about it. Amen.